You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter number four, if you would, Ephesians four. Uh, we're continuing our series entitled Alive Together, and I wanted to encourage you, if you have not yet read through the book of Ephesians, do that this week. Um, the book of Ephesians is a power-packed uh, passage of Scripture, and I highly encourage you to read that. Uh, if you don't have a regular Bible reading plan, I would encourage you to do that. The book of Ephesians is short work. You could finish this in probably 30 minutes or so, but I want to encourage you to be in the Word of God daily. It will help you as you decide, decide to live for Jesus uh, with the power that you need each and every day. Uh, we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse number one here this morning, uh, just by, to recap a little. Last week, we took a look at how uh, we're unified together behind one faith, uh, one faith and one Savior, Jesus Christ, one uh, Father, uh, God our Father, uh, one body of truth being the Word of God, uh, one body that connects us together, the body of Christ and Jesus' church. Uh, and we took a look at that last week, how we're unified. Today, we're taking a look at how even though we're different, we're still unified together and how God gives each and every one of us uniquely. Uh, chapter 4, we're going to start in verse number 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Verse 7 is where we're going to spend, verse 7 through 10 is where we're going to spend our time today. But every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now he ascended, what is that but power? He also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above the heavens that he might fill all things. As a parent uh, having kids, we kind of started off not really knowing a lot. We read the whole what, are you, what to expect when you're expecting book that is required reading for anyone who's ever had a baby before. And, uh, but we thought, you know, we've got it figured out. My wife and I, we're pretty normal people. We, we kind of got this whole parenting thing down, I think, when we had our first child. And uh, we thought, we'll just do what our parents did, right? Because our parents obviously did a great job on us. And just whatever we saw in our parents, we should do that in our kids, right? How many of you had the same approach to the first child? We'll just kind of do what my parents did, you know, and just it'll all work out, right? It does not work out that way. Just know, just spoiler alert for those of you that have never had kids before, it doesn't work out because you are not okay, okay? I'm just going to help you with that this morning. And so uh, we, uh, we had our, our first child, Thatcher, and Thatcher was a joy to parent. He was a great kid. And uh, Thatcher went through a period of rebellion at probably uh, first or second grade where he just absolutely rebelled against his teachers and every authority structure you can imagine, as much as one can when they're six years old, right? And we didn't really know how to process this, you know, uh, and so we just started spanking him a lot. And we, uh, we tried to just uh, beat it out of the kid, right? Now, let me just pause here for a second and say this. If you, are, if you correct a child biblically according to the Bible, everything's okay. If you ever discipline your children out of anger or as a way to exact revenge or to show that you're the boss or to prove he's in charge, you've done it the wrong way, and that's not the spirit of Christ. 
But if your goal of discipline is to remind this child that sin is awful and it always has consequences, and that because I love you, I want to correct you and make sure that we never end up here again, it's actually a very, very healthy thing if it's done biblically. Now, some of us weren't disciplined biblically. I certainly wasn't. And so uh, it's a learning process to figure out how to do it in a way that pleases and honors God and is in keeping with the character of God. But discipline is incredibly important. That's not the focus of today's message. I just want to say that as an aside. But Thatcher, man, that kid, we, we spanked and spanked and spanked and spanked. And sometimes we'd make progress and sometimes we wouldn't make progress. And it kind of got to the point where in first grade, uh, I had to uh, uh, tell his teacher, hey, if he gets out of line one more time, I want you to call me because this has been going on for months. And so I got a phone call at work one day. I was in the Navy at the time. And so I told my chief, I said, hey, chief, I got to go to my son's school and take care of this thing. I'll be right back. And so I, I show up at his, his first grade classroom and I knock on the door and Thatcher turns around and makes eye contact with me and his eyes get as big as softballs. And I said, I need to see Thatcher. And, and so I took Thatcher out and I said, hey, buddy, can you point daddy to the closest bathroom? I don't know where the bathrooms are here. And he was just like, no, 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 dad, dad, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then it's on. The apologies are over at this point. So we walked to the bathroom and uh, I found the, waited for the handicap stall to open up and took him in there. And I said, son, don't ever make daddy leave his work again to have to come to, to, to your school and discipline you. I love you and I don't want to have, ever have to do this again. And so we went back to, to his classroom and told him, to dry your eyes up because the kids are going to be wondering what happened and stuff like that. I said, but don't ever, ever make me have to come back here and do this again. And guess what? We were good to go after that. Man, what a, the kid turned around, turned a corner. And so I thought to myself, this is how parents do it. You know, I thought, man, I should like get a badge for this. You know, uh, I parent of the year award. Mom, my wife should give me a trophy or something to put up in our house because I did awesome at this. I'm like winning at the whole parenting thing, right? And so our second child comes along, Vanderlei. And Vanderlei is a different, uh, different breed, I guess you would say, right? And so I tried the same things that I tried with Thatcher, and they did not work at all whatsoever, none. Different kid, like whose kid is this? I don't know. I don't recognize any of this. My wife says, he's stubborn. He's hard-headed. You can't tell him anything. He doesn't listen. He'll do things on purpose just to defy you, to show you that you can't control him. And I go, that is terrible. My wife said, it sounds just like you. So we have determined uh, that my, my, my oldest son, Thatcher, very much like his mother in the fact that uh, once he's on track, he's on track, he's good to go, super organized, super detail-oriented, got everything down to it. See, he's the kid that if you walk past and you turn his pen sideways on his desk, he'll stop and he'll turn it back the right way. He's got his, his shirts in his closet arranged by color and sleeve length. And then from there, he breaks it down based on the, uh, the fabric that's in each one of them and stuff. He's got his knit shirts here. He's got his woven shirts next to it. I mean, the kid's just nuts when it comes to like organization. Vanderlei has a pile of clothes at the end of his bed. He kind of picks stuff up and he goes, yep, I think that's good. Uh, just different. And Vanderlei is very much like me. Thatcher very much like his mom, but just totally different kids in the same house. Then we have a girl. Oh, my soul. This changes life forever. I think, I've got it all figured out, right? We parented the one that's like my wife. We parented the one that's like me. Uh, we got the girl thing figured out, right? And no, we did not have it figured out. I realized this girl was not even 18 months old and she could say purse, dress, and shoes. Like, who teaches this kid these words? This is not healthy. This is not good. And so, man, it's just so different. And, and Makili is unlike any child we've ever had before. And the fact that she's very creative. Um, she doesn't do very well academically because she can't focus because she's so creative. She just needs color and rainbows everywhere and everything needs to be a unicorn and it's just like her favorite store in the world is Claire's 
And I don't believe in purgatory because it's not in the Bible, but Claire's is the closest thing that one could ever find to purgatory. It's awful. And here's, here's something just to help you with Claire's. If you ever take your kids to Claire's uh, and you buy one thing, just tell the person at the front desk, like, go like this as you're going there because they're gonna say, oh, you only got one thing. You buy three and you get one free. And the kid goes, oh, three things? This is amazing. They go back around again. Oh, it's the worst thing in the world, right? But I think to myself, are all these kids my kids? I know they are, right? I, I know where they came from, right? These are my children, but they're so different. How is this? This is a beautiful picture, beautiful picture of the body of Christ. We're all one big family here today, but all of us are uniquely, distinctly different. Last week, we took a look at how we're unified. We're unified under one Lord and Savior. We're unified under one body, the body of Christ. We're unified behind one faith, the faith in the word of God and the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We're all unified on the same page, but how can we be so different yet unified? And the question then becomes, is it okay to be different inside the body of Christ? Should we all look the same? Should we all dress the same? Should we all drive the same color car? Because there are Christian beliefs that, or Christian denominations that believe everybody has to drive a black car. I'm not making that up. You should look it up sometime. It's fascinating stuff. Everyone should wear black clothes. Everyone should grow their, their beards really long. You know, just this, this idea that everybody has to be uniform. We don't find that in Scripture anywhere. Any, actually, we find the exact opposite of that. It's okay to be different and be a part of the body of Christ. You don't have to look like everybody else and talk like everybody else. Now, depending on where you come from in life, that could be a very, very encouraging thing for you. Oftentimes, I know me, I, ha I don't know if anybody else has this. I'm gonna confess my sin before you today, but I have a trouble comparing myself to other people and looking to see how people do this or how uh, one pastor does this or how another guy does, manages that or what uh, another person has and what I don't have. I have a bad habit of that. And sometimes we can bring that into the church and we begin to look at other people and go, well, I didn't grow up in church my whole life like this guy over here. Oh, we're singing this song I've never heard before in my entire life. And this guy says he sang it all the time when he was a kid. I didn't grow up like that. Maybe I don't fit here. Maybe I don't belong here. And that's the opposite of what God says. God says, regardless of where you come from, you belong here. Regardless of what your background is, you fit here. Regardless of whether you've been walking with Jesus for seven days or 70 years, you are a part of something that's bigger than yourself you get to be a part of the body of Christ. As we look at this passage of scripture, we see the unity that comes from diversity. First of all, we see that we've been given a gift from Jesus. Because Jesus loves us so much, he's given us a gift, and that gift is called grace. Grace is God's unmerited, his undeserved favor. Grace is one of those things that you couldn't work for. You couldn't earn it even if you wanted to. It's given to you because God loves you so much. And Jesus has given us a gift. You see, we don't deserve Jesus's gift because we have rebelled against God. We've rebelled against the teachings of Jesus. We've gone against all of God's commandments. And the Bible says that because of that, we are sinners. Everyone's a sinner. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God loves you even though you've rebelled against him, but God, because he's just, because God is holy, because God is perfect, he cannot allow us to get away with our sin. Sin has a price tag associated with it. Sin requires a payment, must be made to make things right. You see, you and I can't make a payment on our own because we have nothing to pay with. We're sinners. We've, uh, we've rebelled against God and we are, are deserving of God's judgment. God's judgment, the payment that he requires of every single one of us is our life. 
It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. You will die one day, and you will stand before a holy God. And he's going to determine whether you go to heaven or hell, not based on how good you are, or based on how good you've been, or what good works you've done. But your eternal destination is determined on what you did with Jesus Christ. Jesus offers you a gift today. Will you receive it? You see, you deserve to go to hell. I deserve to go to hell because we have sinned against the holy God. The Bible says it's, that at the end of time, Revelation chapter 20, you can read it for yourself, there will be a great white throne judgment. And everyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. The Bible says this is the second death. So when the Bible says the wages of sin is death, that means you and I have sinned and we deserve to go to hell because we have sinned. But God loves you too much to allow you to go to hell. God loves you too much to allow you to stay in your sin or to be separated from him for all of eternity. So he sent his son Jesus for one purpose, to die for your sins. Jesus came, he lived a perfectly sinless life. He never sinned one single solitary time so that he could make a payment for my sin and for yours. Jesus Christ went to the cross. Uh, Romans 5, 8 says it, says it this way. But God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When you were sinning against God, Jesus died in your place. And Jesus died to save sinners. And I'm a sinner and you are too. But it requires you make a choice. You've got to determine for yourself today whether or not you will accept the gift of Jesus that's been given to you or reject it. Totally up to you. I wish I could make you accept Jesus' gift of salvation. I can't. I wish I could pray a prayer over everybody that everyone would receive salvation and go to heaven. I can't do that. You must make a decision for yourself. Have you made that decision? Has there been a time in your life where you have been saved or born again, where you confessed your need uh, for Jesus Christ and you repented of your sins and asked forgiveness? If you did, the Bible says that you're born again or you're saved. But the Bible also says this, Jesus says in John chapter three, no man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. If you're not saved, you cannot go to heaven. And so the easy answer here is today, if you don't know for sure that you're saved, be saved today. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess your sin, make it right with him, and you will be forgiven. And the Bible promises, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we've been given the gift of, first of all, saving grace. This grace that's given to you today for salvation. You didn't deserve it. You couldn't earn it. You couldn't be good enough to get it. It's been given to you as a gift. And that's why it's called grace. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine, just a few pages probably before where you're at in your Bible right now. If you don't have Ephesians two, eight and nine in your Bible, circle started underlined. Would you do that right now? Just turn back a page or two and just circle those verses. They're really critical because sometimes people will say things like, well, I'm trying to get to heaven. I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to earn my way to heaven. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 totally torpedoes the idea that you and I can do something to be saved. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, by, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. You cannot do anything to receive God's grace. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we cannot work for our salvation. We cannot earn it. Any religious structure that says you must do stuff to get saved is anti-biblical. It's anti-Christ. It goes against the entire idea of grace. If at any point I have to work to receive salvation, it's no longer grace. We take a look at our text this morning, Ephesians chapter four, verse number seven. It says, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now, this grace that it speaks of here is not necessarily saving grace. That's a gift that we've been given. 
But today we're taking a look at the gift that Jesus gives of serving grace. This is a grace that God gives us. It's the power that we need to actually live for Jesus. It's the power that we need to work for Jesus. It's what we need on a daily basis to get the work done. And the Bible says that Jesus has given us the grace that we need to get the work done. As we look at this passage, we see that our unity is in Jesus. Again, verse number uh, five, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's above all and and through you all and in you all. Our unity is in Jesus, but our diversity is in who he has made us to be. And again, I hope this brings comfort to your heart today in the fact that you don't have to meet up to some standard of what you think some other Christian expects you to be. You don't have to meet up to some standard of what you think uh, the guy next to you looks like or how he lives or anything like that. It's funny how oftentimes we assume that other people uh, have this great life and everything's uh, together for them and stuff like that. That's usually not the case. Oftentimes people will say things like, well, you know, I don't have it easy like so-and-so. I mean, he grew up in church his whole life. Well, I didn't grow up like you. Uh, Oftentimes people don't really know how other people grew up and you can't make sweeping statements like that. But here's the good news. Regardless of your background, regardless of your life background, your church background, the things that you've gone through in life, God did all of that on purpose to make you who you are today. Sometimes people say things like, well, if you go back and change one thing in your marriage, what would it be? I I got like a million in things that I would do differently, primarily not be so stinking selfish. Uh, But really everything that my wife and I have gone through in our marriage has brought us to the point of where we are today, which is a really, really healthy place. I can say I I wouldn't change anything if I wanted to. What would you do differently in parenting? Man, I'd probably wish that I could rewind a lot and, and do some things differently. But at the end of the day, my kids are who God shaped them to be because of what we've gone through. And again, if we could change the past, we probably would, but we can't. So we need to figure out where we go from starting today forward. And you are today who God has made you to be. Are there some things that need to change? Definitely. Let's work on that. But we can't go back and change the past regret, guilt, shame should all be left in the past because that's what Jesus died for. Jesus died for your sin. He died for your shame. He died to take your guilt from you. Don't carry it any longer. God's gift to you is his grace that you need to live for him every single day. And that diversity in Jesus's church is what we need. Again, we don't need a church full of people that are the exact same person. We need you to be who God's called you to be. Every single person here this morning is here on purpose for a purpose. You might even say, well, we're just passing through town. We just stopped in for a bit. I I don't care what your circumstances are. God brought you here today on purpose for a purpose because God is sovereign. He doesn't do anything by accident or by coincidence. And you are here for the sake of making our church what it's supposed to be because you're different and we love different. You know why? Because Jesus loves different. As we look at this uh, passage of scripture, we see, first of all, that we've been gifted uniquely. Every single one of us, we're taking a look at today at the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us to be able to serve Jesus' church. Every single one of us has been gifted uniquely. And when we look at the spiritual gifts, which we'll take a look at the seven that uh, Romans chapter 12 talks about uh, here this morning, we're not talking about gifts like I'm really good talking to people or I like to play the piano or... uh, anything like that. We're talking about the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. And these are not necessarily talents as much as they are gifts that are given to us to be able to serve Jesus's church better. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse number four says it this way. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. 
Again, everybody has a different gift, but they come from the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit. There are differences of administrations with the same Lord. There's different ways that we carry out our gifts, but we still have the same Lord, which is Jesus Christ. And there are diversities in operations. How we actually carry that out and how it actually affects our lives are different. The same God which worketh all in all. So every single one of us have been gifted uniquely, and next the Holy Spirit gifts us at the moment of salvation. The day you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit came and took up residence in your life. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit began to work in conjunction with your personality, your life background, your life experiences to make you who you're supposed to be for Jesus. And he gifted you in a way that he gifts no one else, unique to you and to you alone. Turn your Bibles, if you would. Keep your fingers here in Ephesians 4. We're gonna come back in a second. But turn, if you would, back to uh, Romans chapter 12 this morning. Romans chapter 12, verse number six, speaks of what we sometimes refer to as spiritual gifts. And if you don't know what your spiritual gift is today, you got the opportunity to be able to figure it out. Romans chapter 12, we'll start in verse number five. So we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. I want you to get this before we go any further. This local church, and again, we're not talking about this, bo- this uh, building. We're talking about the people. This people make up the body of Christ. Think of it this way. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he no longer had a physical body to carry out his work here. So he left you and I here to carry out the work together, and we have become the body of Christ. Now, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, just like any body has different body parts, 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, so the body of Christ has different body parts as well. Now, there's one head, and the head being Jesus Christ himself. Now, I don't know exactly what body part I would be in the, the body of Christ. I would probably be an appendix, one of those things that you don't know that you have until it hurts a lot, and then you have to get rid of it, right? That's probably me. I don't know. But you know what the, the 1 Corinthians chapter 12 actually tells us? hey, the really important parts of the body are the ones that you don't see. Sometimes people say, uh, well, probably the most uh, important person in the whole church is the pastor, right? Probably the least important. Anybody can get up here and say what the Bible says. It requires the people of the church to do the work for Jesus. It requires everybody to pray. It requires everybody to, to love, serve, give, invest. It requires everybody that does their part to be a part of the body of Christ. And 1 Corinthians 12 says that. The unseemly parts are the people that are actually probably the most important. The ones that you don't see. The ones that are doing the behind the scenes work. The folks that pray and fast for our church. Those are the ones that are super important. The ones who are willing to give. The ones that are willing to serve. Those are the people in our church that are really super important. But here, don't, don't miss this. Everybody has a job to do. Everybody has a part in the body of Christ. Now, mind you, just like any other body, you can do without, let's just say, you can do without a hand. Hey, if I cut my hand off, well, can I continue to live? Yes, but because I'm right-handed, my left hand will have to work twice as much now, and my body won't be as efficient because my right hand is missing. For you, if you are not here, can our church go on? Yes, it can, but guess what? The other body parts have to pick up what you were supposed to carry and they have to work a little bit harder, and we're less efficient because you didn't do your part. That's why the Bible says that every person should do their part within the body of Christ. You're not here by accident. You're here on purpose. 
You're exactly where God wants you to be today and you've been gifted. So verse number five, so we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members one of another. Verse six, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. There's that word grace again. We're given grace for a different purpose. And he begins to list seven spiritual gifts here. First of all, uh, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. So if you're underlining these gifts as we go, prophecy is the first one there. Or ministry is the second one there. Let us wait on ministering. Teaching, that's the third one there on teaching. Or he that exhorteth, that's the fourth one on exhortation. That he, he that giveth, that's the fifth one, giving. And he that ruleth, that's the next one, ruleth with all diligence. And he that showeth mercy, that's the seventh, with all cheerfulness. So we see seven gifts here that we're gonna take a look at that would be, we consider the gifts of the Spirit. The first one of these is the gift of prophecy. Now I want you to pay close attention to these seven gifts because I'm gonna explain them to you. I'm gonna break them down for you. And I want you to look at this list and find out where you think God has gifted you. What are some areas that you think, this is a strong suit for me, this is where I believe God has gifted me? First of all, is the gift of prophecy. It's important to understand the gift of prophecy does not mean telling the future. In the Bible, you found two types of prophets. Uh, one would, that would foretell the future. Uh, Joseph, when he was in prison, says there's gonna be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. He was foretelling the future. He was prophesying about what would take place in the future. Then you have folks like Jeremiah who came along and said, hey, God's super mad at you because you've sinned against him. God says, stop sinning and come back to him. He's just saying, here's what God's already said. I'm not telling you what's gonna happen in the future. I'm not prophesying and by foretelling the future, I'm just saying, here's what God said and here's what he expects of you. The gift of modern day prophecy would be to know what God says, know what the Bible says and be able to tell people what the Bible says. The gift of the prophet is, is very uh, unique in the fact that he's not emotionally attached to the message. Hey, here's what the Bible says. Well, I don't like that. It's tough, I didn't write it, I just recite it. The prophet doesn't really care how you feel about the message, he just says it. He just says, hey, here it is, it's out there. The Bible says what you're doing is wrong. I love you, uh, I, I don't want you to continue to sin, but the Bible says what you're doing is a sin. That's the gift of prophecy. Pro the, the gift of prophecy, the person sees things very black and white. There's very little gray area. So for the, the, the prophet, they know what the Bible says. They, they can share that with people and how God wants them to share it. Next is the gift of serving. Uh, this, uh, is, the word ministry is used here uh, in uh, verse number seven. But basically we could call this the gift of serving. Uh, these are the people that are willing to serve, doing whatever needs to be done. Uh, they would cringe to think about coming on the platform and offering a word of prayer, but they would love to come in on a Saturday and maybe fold bulletins or set up chairs or to help out in, in uh, children's ministry some way behind the scenes, not really all that involved, not uh, a person that would get any type of uh, spotlight or anything like that, but they just love to serve. Uh, their gift is to do stuff. And God has uniquely gifted them to serve Jesus' church. The next gift would be the gift of teaching. The gift of teaching is to break up these huge, massive spiritual truths into small, manageable nuggets that people can chew on and digest. It's to take the big truths of the Bible, make it so that people can understand it, uh, make it so that people can, uh, can grasp deep spiritual truths from God's word. And again, these are giftings that God gives us for the purpose of communicating truth with people. 
any good pastor is gonna have a good mix of a gift of prophecy and a gift of teaching. They can say, here's what the Bible says uh, and very clearly exclaim God's word, but also at the same time, break down big, huge spiritual truths in ways that people can understand them. That's the gift of teaching. Next, the gift of exhortation or encouragement. You can put exhortation slash encouragement there. This is doing deeds or offering a word to build someone up. These are the people that you want on your side that are going to come alongside of you and say, hey, man, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. Most of our ushers have a great gift of uh, serving, but also the gift of exhortation as well. Have you ever been around people who just every time you're around them, they just lift your spirits? They've always got a kind word to say. They're always pulling for you. They're always on your team. They're always a cheerleader. Those are folks that God has given the gift of exhortation. Have you ever been around people that the more time you spend with them, the more depressed you get, <laughs> the more discouraged you are, how everything's bad, the, the, the weather forecast is always partly cloudy, probably gonna rain today, right? These are the people where everything is bad, everything, everything, everything. The gift of exhortation is the opposite of that. Everything's good, everything's got a silver lining. God's always in charge. God's always in control. Uh, God is still on the throne. He is still sovereign. He is still good. And I'm gonna trust him and you should too. That's the gift of exhortation. These are the people that lift your spirits by the deeds that they do or by the words that they say. Next is the gift of giving. This is using your time, talents, and treasures to advance the kingdom. Oftentimes when people think of the gift of giving, they think of the person who gives the most money. That's not the gift of giving. Giving comes in many forms. Is uh, financial giving one of them? For sure. But the gift of giving is the person who finds out that someone has a need and they want to do whatever they can to meet it. Uh, hey, you don't have a, a, a bed frame? We've got an extra one. I'll give you mine. Hey, you don't have sheets for your bed. What size bed you got? I got an extra set of sheets for you I want to give to you. You don't have a car. You can use mine. We'll go back to one car this week while, you, uh, while your car's in the shop. These are the people who are willing to give you the shirt off of their own back because of their love for you and their love for Jesus. Uh, these are the people that are willing to give uh, many times their time. I don't have time to give, but I'm going to give you my time because I love you and I love Jesus so much. Uh, these are people who have a special gift that God's given them to give. Next, gift of administration. Uh, it's listed as uh, in the, the Bible here, this uh, translation is the gift of ruling. It's the idea, though, of being able to think through and administrate details. Uh, these are the people who think through every single detail that's required to make things in the church work the way that they should. I often give the example, uh, my wife and I are, are wired very, very differently. And again, I think it's one of the things that makes our, our marriage what it is. I'm a big picture guy. I'm the type of guy that says, hey, we're having a picnic two weeks from now at Alamona Beach Park. It's gonna be awesome. You should totally come. Bring your friends and neighbor. It's probably gonna be the best picnic you've ever been to in your entire life. And then my wife says, okay, first of all, I didn't know anything about a picnic. Second of all, what are we eating? How, do we need plates? You know, are we gonna get two liters? Or are we gonna get canned drinks? We probably need a lot of bottled water. It's been super hot. We're gonna need shade out there. We need to make sure that we get out there early and get a place to set up tables and chairs out there. Will we need, will it be finger foods or will we need uh, plasticware? If we need plasticware, is it forks and spoons and knives? If so, we gotta think through that and how many we're gonna need. Uh, how many people do we have in church last Sunday? What percentage of those do you think you would come? Hey, babe, I'm just trying to have a picnic here, right? Could you just like, not bother me with all that. And she goes, and you said it's gonna be probably the best picnic they've ever been to. What's gonna make this picnic so great? Because I said it was. 
I don't know. You know, I, didn't, I wasn't thinking about that. I'm a big picture guy, right? I'm the guy that, that gets everybody fired up. I'll leave the details to somebody else. How many of you know Jesus' church need both sides of that, right? My wife on the other side would probably, well, the picnic's gonna be next week and I know it's gonna be super hot and you probably won't wanna stay there very long and we're, we're gonna have to make sure that we have all these. She thinks that way. I'm a big picture guy. We need both of those working together. We need someone who can think through the administrative details of Jesus' church. That's the gift of administration. Next, finally, the gift of mercy. This is being able to comfort the hurting and encourage. These are the people who, when they're going through a tough time, again, you want uh, people who can speak words of encouragement. We need some people who will just sit there and listen to you cry sometimes. The gift of mercy says, hey, I feel where you're at. Because you hurt, I hurt. Because you're going through a difficult time, this automatically makes it a difficult time for me. I want to love you and serve you and help you through this. That's the gift of mercy. You see somebody going through a rough spot, you want to do something about it. You see somebody sitting on a bench outside crying, you have never seen them before in your life, but you want to sit down and talk to them and put your arm around them, ask how you can pray with them. That's the gift of mercy. Now, I'll be honest with you, mercy is not one of my strong suits, but I've had to work at it. To just kind of give you an idea as to how... Uh, my lack of mercy sometimes is, is offset by my uh, gift of prophecy, I guess you would say. Uh, there was, um, now mind you, I've, I've grown a lot since then, this time, so, so cut me some slack. I've confessed my sin to the Lord, and so today I confess it to you. Uh, but there was a guy who had, uh, had been attending our church for a while, he and his family, and uh, they stopped coming to church, and I gave him a call and said, hey, where are you guys at? And he's like, we're just busy, and churches, we're just too busy to fit church into our schedule, and it's just not a priority for, you, for us. I said, hey, man, I appreciate your honesty, I really do, but... God and his people and his house have to be a priority to your family. Otherwise, everything falls apart. You, you just can't walk with Jesus and not be connected to a body of believers who are going the same direction. And it's gonna be best for your wife and your kids and everything else. I get you, pastor. I know you gotta say that because you're a pastor, but uh, we just don't feel like it's that important. And I said, dude, you're walking a dangerous path. Don't go this way. Don't go this way. Thanks for the call, pastor. Done, never saw the guy again. Nine months later, he calls Pastor, I need your help. I need you to come over to my house right now. I, I can't come over to your house right now. It's like 11 o'clock. No, 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 right now. Mind you, I haven't talked to the guy in nine months. I said, what's going on? My wife left me for another guy. Okay. Well, well what, 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 do you, what do you think about that? <laughs> Here's where my lack of mercy bit me. What did you expect was gonna happen? You put God on the back burner. You put your family on the back burner. What did you think was going to happen? Well, I, I don't know. Aren't you supposed to like pray with me? No, no, no. Here's the thing. I told you nine months ago, don't go this direction. Your family's going to fall apart. Guess what? Your family fell apart. I'm not surprised and I don't know why you are. And he was just like, wow, that was really harsh. Well, you know what? Truth hurts sometimes. And I felt so righteous in saying that. I really did. And I hung up the phone and I thought, man, Anthony, you are a jerk. I called him back, and I said, hey, man, I'm sorry. I really am sorry. I said, let me, let me get dressed and come over. And so I went over to his house and prayed with him, and I tried to patch things up the best that I could. But at the end of the day, he made his own decisions. But you know what I thought in that moment? After I hung up the phone, I thought, oh, yeah, way to go, Anthony. You really stuck it to him. I thought to myself, is that what Jesus would have done? Nope, Jesus was merciful. And it's easy for me to say, well, mercy's not my gift. If God wanted me to be merciful, he would have made me have the gift of mercy. No, you know what? Jesus is merciful, and God told me to be like Jesus. So, I've got some growing to do. 
Maybe I'm not naturally gifted in mercy. Maybe God didn't give me the gift of mercy, but I need to grow in that gift. It's important to understand that these gifts that are given to us are not given to us for our own use, but they're given to us for Jesus' church. You weren't given the gift of administration so that you could uh, work in some C-level executive suite and do your thing for your company. You were given the gift of administration to serve Jesus' church well. You weren't given the gift of giving to be able to give to some uh, nonprofit that's not making a difference for the kingdom of God. You were given the gift of giving to help out Jesus' kingdom. You weren't given the gift of teaching necessarily, maybe to be an elementary school teacher or something like that. You were given the gift of teaching to be able to teach people the truth of God's word and to break God's word down in a way that people can understand it. And you've been gifted in a unique way to that end. You weren't given the gift of exhortation to have a lot of friends because everybody wants to be around you because you're a really cheery dude or a really cheery gal. You were given the gift of exhortation to lift up the hurting people, your brothers and sisters in Christ that are going through a difficult time. Jesus has the authority to give these gifts because he's in charge. He's the boss. As we look at the gifts that he's given, verse number eight and 10, uh, turn back to Ephesians chapter four, if you would. Verses eight through 10, people have uh, looked at these passages before and say, well, Jesus has given grace. What does that have to do with uh, ascending up to the heaven and descending down and things like that? What is he talking about here? It's kind of a call back to, uh, to military history, if you will. When a, a, a king or a general would go out to battle, they would come back from battle after they had won with their spoils and with a, a, a group of people behind them, usually a band, usually some type of music, and they would have a military parade that would go kind of down through Main Street. And then they would end up at the top of a mountaintop where the, the king and the general would celebrate this great victory that they'd had. Verses eight through 10 are speaking of that. We're saying when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now, he that ascended, what is but that he also descended first in the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same, and also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fulfill all things. The idea here is this, that Jesus came from heaven down to live amongst us. He set the captives free. Who was captive? You and I were captive in our sin. And he has ascended back up to a place of victory, showing that he is the boss, he is still in charge, and he has all authority you see, Jesus conquered sin, death, and the grave on our part, on our, our behalf. That's what he did for us. That's the victory that he won for us. He has descended from heaven. He fought for us on our behalf to set us free. He conquered and he arose again the third day victorious and is now ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus sets free those that are in captivity. Who's in captivity? You and I were in captivity to our sin. And if you're a child of God, Jesus set you free. But know this, Christian, many times you and I are still in captivity to the world's way of thinking. We're still in captivity to the way this world does things and we want to be accepted by the world, but Jesus has set us free from that. And Jesus was, gifts us uniquely to make us useful to him. Again, the gifts that you've been given were uniquely given to you to serve Jesus. If you look at that gift list, list of seven gifts, Many times we can look at that and say, well, I don't know that I'm gifted in any of them. First of all, that's a lie because the Bible says everyone is given gifts to use for Jesus. So you have gifts. You just might not like the gifts that you've gotten. You may wish that you'd gotten a different gift than what you have. Maybe wish that you could have something that somebody else has. Too bad it's what you got. But Jesus has given you that because he wants you to serve him. If 
final thought this morning is that Jesus was our example for how to use our spiritual gifts. If you take a look at this, these seven gifts that are given, there's one person that embodies all seven of these to perfection. Use them in perfect harmony, perfect balance, and use them together in unison to accomplish the will of his Father, and that was Jesus Christ. And Jesus is our example of how to use these gifts. Hey, if you read through the Gospels, you can see where Jesus preaches the word of God. Uh, you can see where Jesus exclaims the fact that he is the son of God, that you cannot come to the Father but by him. You'll also see where Jesus taught things. He says, um, let me explain it this way. Uh, the kingdom of God is like a field. And a man has a field, and when he went and dug, he found a treasure. And once he found that treasure, he went and sold everything that he had to have that treasure. That's kind of what the kingdom of God is like. And Jesus broke down the big, huge truths of living for Jesus, living for the kingdom, into one small story, a perfect embodiment of the gift of teaching there. Again, you could go through the list here and see how Jesus perfectly personified each and every one of these gifts that were given. Using our gifts makes us like Jesus. Hey, you wanna to be like Jesus this week? Have a word of encouragement for somebody. You want to be like Jesus this week? Give sacrificially this week. Hey, you want to be like Jesus this week? Share some truth from God's word with somebody this week. Hey, you want to be like Jesus? Show mercy and compassion to other people. Using our gifts, however God's gifted you, makes us like Jesus. But here's the other thing. Growing through our deficiencies also makes us more like Jesus. You see, when I, when I was a younger, newer Christian, I didn't fully grasp this idea of spiritual gifting the way that I should. I just thought to myself, giving's not my gift, so that's just not what I do. Hey, showing mercy is really just not my thing. That's not who I am. I'm more of like a, a black and white prophecy kind of guy. I'm more of a, like a teaching guy. That's, that's more my thing. But the more that I realized this list is really just the gifts that point us to Jesus, I realized if I don't do well in giving, I should want to grow in giving. If I don't do well in showing mercy, I should want to show mercy. I'm not great with details, and so I'm not really that administration guy, but I want to be now. You know why? Because that makes me more like Jesus. And working towards our deficiencies will help us be more useful to Christ and help us to be more like Jesus. Two final questions and we're done. First of all, have you identified your spiritual gifts? Now, there's several spiritual gift tests you can take online where they ask you a lot of questions. And, and uh, one of them is kind of funny to me. One of the spiritual gift tests that I took one time had a question. It's like, uh, what do you do if you see a homeless cat on the side of the road? And, and the idea was if you score high in that area that you take the cat home and love it, you're really good in mercy, you know. And if you don't score well in that area, you would do really poorly in mercy, you know. There wasn't an option to swerve and hit the cat. There wasn't an option for that. I kid, I kid. But there's spiritual gift tests online, but I really think if you were to look at the list of the way that we explained it this morning and really just ask God to show you, I think you, most of us would look at that and go, I'm, I'm better in this area, a little bit less in this area. Here's some areas that I need to grow in. So have you identified your spiritual gifts? If not, please see me after the service today. I'd be happy to, uh, I've got a spiritual gift test that I can email you. It's in a PDF format. You could uh, print it out and score yourself on there and see where you, you line up. That would be great. But most of us will look at a list like this and say, I, I see how God's gifted me. I see how God's wired me. And so then the second question is this, are you utilizing your spiritual gifts? Are you using those gifts to make Jesus' church better? Or are you kind of doing your own thing with them? 
Or maybe you're just letting them lie dormant. You're not using them at all. These gifts that were given to us are for the purpose of advancing the kingdom of God and making Jesus' church better. And you're here on purpose, for a purpose, to use your spiritual gifts. Final thought. If you are not a child of God, you do not possess these spiritual gifts because they're given by the Holy Spirit. You might have some character traits and attributes that would line up with some of these. That might be the case. But know this, if you are not saved, if you're not a child of God, you do not even have the Holy Spirit inside of you, much less the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The best thing that you could do today is confess your sin before God, put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and be saved today, and then your new life begins from that point forward. For those of us that are children of God, for those of us that are saved, let's use our spiritual gifts even this week. Let's take a look at this list and find out how I can invest what I have into other people this week to advance the kingdom of God. That's what it means to invest our spiritual gifts well. 